Hey everybody, this is Glenn Krieger with the second episode of the Orthopreneurs Podcast. Now I promised I'd bring you more than just orthodontists, and today I will deliver two of the most technologically innovative, forward-thinking people you will ever meet in your life. They're not orthodontists, but both of them are really well acquainted with the orthodontic space. So, grab your friends, get a snack, sit back and enjoy, because today I promise is going to be a good one. This, this, this is the Orthopreneur Show with Glenn Krieger, talking about the things you never learned in school, like marketing, management, and leadership. Hey everybody, it's Glenn Krieger here, and do I have a treat for you today. I have two of my favorite people, uh, Chase Frost and Mike Vidikin. They are two radically different backgrounds. Uh, they were trained totally differently, but the way they look at the world has inspired me to see things very differently. And it was my thought that they would be amazing people to have on this podcast. So welcome to you, Chase, and welcome to you, Mike. And um, let's start first with Chase, uh, Chase Frost. Uh, those of you out there may recognize that name a little bit uh, in the ortho world. But Chase, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your entrepreneurial background in particular, I know people out there would love to hear it. Awesome. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on the on the podcast, Glenn. I appreciate it. You know, I've, every interaction we've had, I've I've absolutely loved, and I'm I'm honored to be here. Um, so, a little bit about my background. So, my background is really in marketing automation, and uh, over the last six years or so, I've been able to help. You know, hundreds of companies des design, define, and execute marketing automation for companies like Entree Leadership, Dave Ramsey's Entrepreneurship Group, or uh, Digital Marketer, or Frank Kern. A lot of these online businesses really dial in their their patient, ex not their patient, their client experience from lead to prospect to buyer and to refer. So I've really got a, a unique view at how really successful people are, have been making their money and, and designing unique and awesome experiences for their for their 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 client base right on so nowadays uh, as i mentioned you know dr stuart frost is somebody we've all pretty much heard of um you know the guy yeah a little bit so uh, <laughs> dr frost is uh he's my cousin technically he's my second cousin but i also run his practice so uh you know over the last six months or so i've been you know it's it's one thing to talk theory uh you know with all these successful businesses and let other people uh carry out the strategy over the last six months, we've been, you know, in the practice and implementing all of these different uh, systems and, and processes, and really building the the, the practice out to scale and uh, and grow. Yeah, and and for those of you out there listening, I first met Chase on my first. I met you on my first visit out to the office, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and so I love to visit uh, other offices. Those of you who follow my blog know that one of my biggest uh, suggestions to grow your practice immediately is to go around and visit amazing offices. And you can start in your own town. It doesn't have to be far away. But one of the offices that was on my bucket list was Stu Frost's. And uh, let me just tell you, amazing office. Sorry, Chase, you're now going to get inundated with requests to come visit your office. Um, <laughs> but, but here I was visiting this remarkably successful office, turning out amazing outcomes, uh, as your cousin does. And we spent kind of half the day sitting in the room talking, you and I, just because I was so intrigued by your entrepreneurial background and the way you deliver customer service and the way each one is unique. 
and I can tell you that Chase has taken an office that was already amazing and just made it that much better. And um, we'll get into that a little bit more if that's okay with you, Chase. Yeah, it would just you, you, you guide that side of it. I'm not gonna. I could talk about how great we are all day. I'll, I'll let you kind of lead that part of the conversation. I, so, right so the second half of today is also Mike Vidikin. And uh, Mike Vidikin is uh, an integral part of the entire entrepreneur's experience. He is my right hand with our private geographically exclusive uh, entrepreneurs RD group. And uh, he was a personal friend before he even got involved in any of this. So I know so much about him, but Mike, do you mind telling everybody out there a little bit about your background and what it was that you did prior to coming into the orthodontic space? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Glenn. And uh, usually I'm behind the scenes on the entrepreneur's uh, side. So, uh, it, you know, it's nice to meet everybody and, um, you know, tell everyone a little bit about myself. So uh, my background, uh, I, I studied marketing undergrad and took that into a variety of different businesses. Um, I helped pioneer the use of social media in, uh, a, in a Middle East think tank that uh, focused on counterterrorism as, as one of its missions. Uh, I took that into staffing and recruiting and then uh, decided to go and get an MBA. Um, and from there, uh, my career tra trajectory kind of changed a bit because one of the courses that I took, uh, as, as you know, is was on futurism. <laughs> it was on emerging technologies and the future. The idea being that if you could understand which technologies uh, were likely to be developed uh, sometime in the near or far future, you could understand what the impact of those technologies would be on society and you could kind of extrapolate what the implications to society would be. So if you could look out and say we think self-driving cars are going to be around in 2025 or 2030, well, what does that do to parking lots? What does that do to businesses or to, uh, or to parent-child uh, drop-off, right? When you drop uh, kids off at school, uh, what, what does the uh, use of drones in transportation uh, or in shipping and logistics do to that industry? Um, so I spent almost the past decade really focusing on uh, research for Fortune 500 companies uh, around emerging technologies and consumer trends. So looking at the two, how do uh, emerging technologies, how will they come to impact businesses and how will the uh, consumer trends come to impact businesses as well and how do the two play off of each other. And I've worked with uh, clients uh, from General Motors to Clorox to Hershey's, uh, really helping them kind of think about what's next and how their business practices today really need to change to meet these, uh, you know, the emerging consumer needs of the future and also how to avoid disruption from these emerging technologies. And now I'm having fun uh, trying to apply some of that uh, on the entrepreneur side. Yeah. And, and for those folks who came to the entrepreneur summit this past year, 2018, uh, you would have seen Mike was on the panel, right, Mike? You're, yeah. you're on the technology panel that we had with a bunch of really amazing people. And, and as you've just heard from Mike's background, you, know, you, have two, you actually have two people here, Chase and Mike, who have been pretty involved in, um, in technology outside of orthodontics and emerging trends and what have you. And it's really, really nice to have both of you here because you, as I mentioned, your backgrounds are totally different and I'd love to get your take on a number of different topics. 
So with that, um, one of the things that I think is a sort of a hot button issue in orthodontics today is automation. Um, you know, obviously artificial intelligence is another, those are two totally different things. But let me start a little bit with you first, Chase. Can you talk a little bit about where you might be using some automation for, I know you mentioned the words customizable patient experience. So first, let, let's, let's get that out of the way. What is a customizable patient experience? Tell me what that means in your world, Chase. Well, really, when I say customizable patient experience, like every patient that walks through the door of an, orthodont of an orthodontic practice is having experience that the, the key is, are they in charge of it? Are we, are we aware of what's actually happening? And wanting to be intentional uh, to make that experience as great as possible from the moment they have their first phone call to the time they show up to the moment they walk in the lobby. Uh, and get their paperwork done until they, you know, sit down with the TC and, and eventually hopefully get a start. So when I talk about customizable, I, I, I'm not just thinking like, okay, how do we make this custom for them? But I'm also thinking about how do we make it awesome and intentional throughout the entire, throughout the entire process. Right on. I remember when I was at your office, we were kind of joking a little bit. Uh, not, <laughs> not so much because I think you were ready to go actually implement everything. Um, but I know we were joking a bit about the concept of what happens when a new patient uh, pulls up into your, into your office and you've got two or three reserved spots with a pressure pad underneath. Remember we were talking about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we talked about that to the point where like, hey, uh, they have a reserved spot for the person who's going to be attending their new patient exam. And when they, when they roll up and park, we have a little monitor that pops up like, welcome Chase or welcome faith you know we're excited right. to see you and you, you know your kid whatever they're what you know you and you and leo and uh, welcome <laughs> to the practice and then when they walk in the front door you know we have our concierge desk right there waiting with a bottle of water know their name they know who they are they know what they're there for and right. then whether or not they filled out their paperwork and then just to be able to take it from there right. uh, and to really make like a, a a nice not nice just incredible like that disneyland type experience where they've thought of every single possible outcome to make it awesome Right. And, and we, you know, we talked about having, you know, a big like 46 inch outdoor monitor on a post right in front of the parking spot so that they knew that that when they pulled up, that that was their spot. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, maybe balloons on screen would pop. You know, it sounds silly and funny Confetti everywhere. Right. <laughs> Confetti cannon. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but but, you know, we joke about these sorts of things, but this is really, you know, what helps people understand that you're a different kind of practice. So Mike, from your perspective, I know we've spoken a lot about demographic trends and socially how people from different generations, different ages, they see things differently. When we talk about the unique customizable patient experience, you know, based upon what me and Chase are talking about, tell me, you know, what that means to you. Sure. So I think you're absolutely right. This is a generational difference here in terms of customer experience, in terms of expectations. Uh, I cannot imagine my dad liking the idea of pulling up to a uh, an office and seeing in you know big digital letters you know welcome Mr. Vidikin. I think he would find that too intrusive. <laughs> um, but you know, for a lot of millennials who have grown up with personal personalized experiences, um, you know, custom text messages. Uh, frankly, software that knows where you are all the time and can you know, send you offers, you know, based on where you are. Uh, we, we tend Does to that exist right now. Sure. Sure. They've actually got, uh, so beacon technology is a technology that if, uh, for example, somebody's walking around a mall 
and it's enabled, they might be able to get a text message from a store that they're walking past saying, hey, here's a 10% off coupon. Wow. It does, so, is that sort of thing anywhere on the forefront for orthodontics in such a way? I, I don't know. How, I mean, I'll let you two figure out how we would apply that. But to me, that seems like an amazing opportunity in ortho, no? It depends. Is ortho, can you get it to be an impulse buy? Or can you get it to be something that somebody stops what they're doing, pops into a store to get their mouth scanned, for example? Uh, that's very possible. Um, I've, you know, when you think about the Invisalign stores that are popping up, maybe they would implement something like that. Uh, People are walking by, they get an alert that says, hey, pop in and get your teeth scanned. Right, so at the, at the, ortho, at the um, Invisalign Summit uh, a few weeks ago, the, one of the keynote speakers was George Blankenship. And he's famous for having been the only person to work directly for both Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. Like, what, what easy employers, if you ever get upset about your employers, um, just imagine being Mr. Blankenship. But he's ultimately the one responsible for the Apple stores and designing them. He's ultimately responsible for the Tesla stores and increasing their sales dramatically. And now he's actually responsible for designing the Invisalign experience, which was formerly known as the store. And his point in his conversation was the best time to get people and the reason why they have Apple stores and the reason why they have Tesla stores is his word was to ambush people when they least expect it, right? So you're in a mall, you're walking by, you see a car store. You may not buy a car that day, but you might stop in and see some cool stuff and, and they'd make it so you could customize your own car. Um, and people would come back eight, 10, 15 times before purchasing a car or never buy one. But I love the idea of this whole ambush thing. And so it sounds like it might be an interesting way to potentially use this software uh, to get our patients thinking about orthodontics when maybe they never had it on their mind. What do you it, think? It is. And I, I want to throw out one other idea because you mentioned the Tesla store. Um, millennials typically don't like to be sold to. They like being educated. They like learning about solutions to their problems. Um, and so if you can provide the solution in a way that's, doesn't seem like you're selling to them. Um, in fact, where you can make them think that they're the ones who came up with the idea for the solution, uh, then you might see even more success. So, so for example, putting that, uh, that store in the mall where people can walk by and pop in and say, oh, how, you know, I, I wanna know more about my smile. You know, what can I do to fix my smile? And it's not in a way that, you know, overly aggressive salesy. Yeah. Chase, what are your thoughts on this? You know, um, I, I actually completely, I completely agree with Mike. Is, is millennials are a little bit prima donnas when it comes to purchasing decisions. Um, like we want to, we want to, we want to be like kind of wine and dined, and, and we're a lot easier to, you know, we want to be educated. But as soon as we feel any amount of like hard clothes in any way, shape, or form, it's like boom, we, we like we go like we're very hypersensitive <laughs> to that, to that like to a close. Um, whereby you, you, you deal with someone who's a little bit older, they almost expect it. Like if you don't do it, they kind of view you as like, wait, what's wrong? I remember working at, at my last company, I, I had to deal with a lot of entrepreneurs who are typically between three and 10 million. If I didn't give them like that hard close, they were kind of like, do you, what are you doing? Um, and so, so yeah, I completely agree. So the key is essentially 
trying to get them to understand and educate them about their needs, but don't try to hard sell. Whereas, and again, I think it underscores the value of different types of people, right? So Mm -hmm. years ago, there were great books like Behavior Styles at Work that sort of broke people up into different personality types, the engineering types, right, drivers. And you you would quote unquote sell to each type. And I think what you guys are talking about underscores the fact that while we all went into orthodontics to practice a craft, don't kid yourself for a second if you don't think that we're in the sales business Um, because we have to understand our clients. And I think uh, from both of you, I've learned that if you just go into a room and start talking to people and saying, here, I'm so good at what I do. I'm the best. Your friend referred you. Start. Probably not going to work out necessarily the way you want it to, right? Absolutely not. And, and, and Chase, you touched on something really interesting. Um, when you talk about the millennials um, and not wanting to be hard sold, one more thing I learned from uh, a venture capital guy uh, in Silicon Valley. I don't know how old he is, and I think he's famous in the VC world, but he's got to be in his early 40s. And he talked at great length about the fact that, right, I'm a bit older than both you guys. I know, you, Mike, you have a three-week-old son, and Chase, yours is 14 months old, right? So... My, my youngest is turning 15 in a few months. And so, you know, we're, we're sort of different generations and I see the world a little bit differently. But what he talked about was interesting from the, the way millennials perceive the world versus say my generation even, is when I was a kid, I would see a guy pull up in a really cool car and I'd say, wow, that's a cool car. He's driving that car, he must be cool. One day I'm gonna have that car and I'm gonna be cool. And it may have been a house, it may have been a country club, it may have been any number of things like that. And I'll I'll let the two of you respond to this. I was sort of surprised when this guy being interviewed said, that's not the social capital for the millennials. The millennials are far more experiential. Like, you know, I don't want the car. I saw that dude at Burning Man putting his pictures up and that dude is cool. And I wanna be at Burning Man because if I put my pictures up, I'll be cool or Ibiza or any number of places, you know, you can insert the name there. You know, do we have to sort of look at that perspective when we're dealing with this new up and coming generation that might very well be our, our client base in the next 20 years? Yeah, you, you might want to, especially if you're thinking about uh, promotions and giveaways and the things that draw people to your practice. Uh, I think you're absolutely right about the approach different generations take, and it comes back to values. Um, I think that you can look at, um, you know, I'll say, traditional, modern, postmodern values and and sort of how they evolve. And one of the reasons that people were attracted to the fast, shiny cars and the big houses and uh, expensive things uh, is, you know, really has to do with resource scarcity. Um, When, you know, you're in a society where uh, not everybody is wealthy, that bright, shiny car, you know, that's really attractive. Uh, I think the truth is for a lot of millennials, at least this has been my experience, is we see a lot more, you know, fast cars on the road. We see a lot of mega mansions. We see uh, a lot of stuff. People are acquiring a lot of luxury brands. And so it's really not as scarce as it used to be. And I think that might be part of it. Uh, But what's more scarce than, than any goods experiences? Right on. I never thought about yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, and just to kind of piggyback on that a little bit is, is we grew up with the internet. Um, and so the social significance gained from Facebook likes versus the cool car is a little bit different. 
<laughs> and so a lot of people really like, especially this generation, they really want those likes. They really want those followers. And that's really where they gain the social significance, whereby before it was like, look, you had to be seen in your cool car, but now you can be seen on the beach and people couldn't see you on the beach before, but now everybody can see how cool you are at Ibiza or at Burning Man or Coachella or whatever. So there's a little bit different mindset on how they, how they're gaining significance and, 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 uh, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of like how millennials view things in a little bit different way, uh, than an older generation is, is we we have access to quite a bit more information that we haven't really quite figured out yet how to process. And, and it, it probably plays a large role in why, you know, now Google reviews, right, have been proven to sort of trump a second opinion. And a, a lot of that probably stems from that, again, that social media capital, if you will, that, hey, you know what, if enough people online said it's good, then it's good enough for me, right? Yeah, in fact, some of the uh, survey research shows that if your friend makes a recommendation, it might be just as good as if a doctor it made a recommendation. So people tend to think of their friends as on par with actual professionals who went, went to school for a decade <laughs> just because they gave a review or, or, you know, made an opinion. That's absolutely amazing. So um, let's get down to some nuts and bolts a little bit, Chase, with you, if you don't mind. Um, when I was out with you at, at, at Dr. Frost's office, I saw some pretty cool concepts that you were mulling over. Did you want to talk a little bit about the idea behind, let's just say, PicSnippet, for instance. Do you mind sharing that with the listeners right now about what that's about? And it blew me away, sort of the way you were thinking. Yeah, so uh, PicSnippet is a tool that uh, one of my, actually one of my best friends in the, in, on the planet has, and it's a, uh, it's a tool that allows you to take an image and embed text on top of that image. So for example, uh, what we'll have is we'll have a picture of our team out in front of our office and we'll hold a whiteboard uh, in front of the team, we'll take a team picture and then every, like we can embed it so that when someone has an appointment reminder, it'll say, Hey Chase on the whiteboard. And it looks like we customized and took that picture as like our little frost family, but really it was embedded onto the picture and the novelty around that and the connection that people receive is it's very hard for someone to differentiate. Even when we know it's automated, there's still like a, it still triggers off that same part of our, our brain that says, Hey, this is, this is real. Uh, these people are waiting for me. And so what we're able to do is, is to create like a customizable experience. So it, like their appointment confirmation will say, Hey, Hey Chase, we're looking forward to having you in the office. And the day before reminder, we'll, we'll have like a picture of their parking spot with, that will say, you know, looking forward to seeing you Chase. And then like have the, like even the date and time of the appointment on that same image. Um, in a former life, I, I, you know, when we, I had, I did a bunch of sales calls, it would be me next to the whiteboard that said, you know, hey, Glenn, looking forward to our appointment tomorrow at two o'clock with me standing next to the whiteboard and pointing to the message that was completely done via, via like completely auto automated. And man, the amount of compliments and comments and questions I got on that, on just that picture and, and everything alone was, was incredible. And the other thing that I was surprised to see was the conversion rates and the attendance rate for those appointments go, go way up. Nice. Because people like to do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And so part of my vision is to uh, allow people to know, like, and trust us as much as possible prior to actually physically meeting us with, with, with you know, in the office. I mean, it, and again, for, I don't know if it comes across as well in this conversation, but the concept of being able to take a series of photographs of you, of your team, of whatever you want, 
and being able to have that merge with some form of database so that somehow every patient who say past due for their recall appointment gets a picture, whatever it may be, of you or your team that's automatically customized. So it's not like someone's going in and punching in, hey Chase, you're overdue for your recall. You could potentially batch out 30 pictures to 30 different people with a name automatically put on there, correct? Yeah, really really one picture with 30 different variables that shows up as, as different pictures for every single one of them. Right, it could be for collections, it could be for you know, new patient greeting. It, it, and, and again, it comes down at the end to being able to stand out, to yep. do something that nobody else is doing. And, and there are many purists out there today who argue, but I'm an orthodontist, you know, I straighten teeth and I'm an amazing orthodontist. And my grandfather didn't do this and my father didn't do this. And I think it goes back to Mike's comment, times are a changing. And yeah, well, it's, it's good to be a purist, but it, at the end of the day, like people can get braces online now. I mean, I know that's kind of like a, it's not the same, but to the, to the consumer, the one thing that I learned is that different is better than better. Different um, is better than better. Yeah. There's, there's a lady, she, she was a client uh, at my last, at my last company again, her name's Sally Hogshead. And she talks about this and she, I listened to her do a keynote and she talked about, look, anybody can say that they're better. I can say, you know, Dr. Frost can say, oh, I'm a better orthodontist than so-and-so. I'm a better finisher. I'm better at straightening teeth and lining up the bite. That's all well and good. But being different will connect with the right people better than just saying you're better because anybody can say those same things. Like it's very abstract to say that you're better than someone, but the connection and what you feel and the, the difference is, is really what makes people stand out now because, you know, a lot, a lot of practices kind of run the same. The orthodontist is nice and cool and their lobbies. You know, it's, it's done up like a, like a typical doctor's office and, you know, I like guess what I'm trying to do. But if you want to really connect with your audience, you've got to allow them to, to connect with you via whatever means necessary. So for the two of you, where does different work against you? Where does, you know, you, I was lucky enough to, one of the offices I visited was Dr. John Graham out in uh, Utah. And you walk in and you get off the elevator to the second floor and there is no reception area per se. There's just a desk and it's wide open and it's like a salon, a spa, if you will. And he created it just like that. I know you'll never make everybody happy all the time, but where does, where does being too different cause a problem? When do we overdo it? Is there an answer to that? Sure, when you don't connect with your audience. <laughs> exactly, I, 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 mean, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I, in, in my thinking on this, what the consumer is looking for, uh, and I'll say millennials, um, millennials want you to be authentic. And, you know, sometimes they mean it and sometimes they don't, but <laughs> they want you to be, you know. They're inauthentically authentic? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. They, they want you to at least put on a persona of what they want you to be. Um, so, there's an issue of transparency, right? So that's part of where the open concepts came from, uh, especially around the startups. It was all about opening up the spaces and, you know, seeming like there's transparency. Uh, there's really in terms of the, the authenticity is how does your personality come through, right? Are, if you're practicing in a particular location or state, you know, is there something local, you know, local flavor coming out? Is there something in, about your background if you like uh, comedy you know, are you telling jokes? If you like sports, do you have sports memorabilia up? Um, 
you know, what's unique about you that can come out in the practice that patients can feel like they connect with you over? So, yeah. so I'm sorry, Chase, go, please. No, sorry. I, I was going to say, like, I think he hit the nail on the head talking about authenticity. I think be, being different becomes like a negative when it's inauthentic. Um, like one of the people that you showed me, Glenn, uh, when you were here, like you showed me a doctor out of, I believe is Washington who was like super talented and like, like just handsome. And he did a little rap and it was like a legit awesome. Like the video went viral. <laughs> for, those, for, the, for those of you out there, um, he was referring to Cole Johnson and his Christmas video, uh, braces off by Christmas. Cole shout out to you out there. Yeah. yeah it was and, it, and that was baller. Um, if Dr. Frost did that, it would be inauthentic. It would be gimmicky. It would be, I mean, it might be funny, but if he was trying to like, <laughs> Oh, it would be funny, Chase. But it, it'd be funny because of how, how poorly I think he'd do trying to rap. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it, I, think, I think it happens when people become inauthentic, when it becomes gimmicky, because we can, we, can, we can smell that stuff a lot better now than we ever have. Like the online reviews and being able to see how, how businesses do business a little bit more transparently than we have in the past is, is it becomes a problem when it's inauthentic and we can tell that it's like, oh yeah, you're just, you're trying to manipulate me. Yeah. Okay. There's a, there was a blog I posted or wrote about um, probably a year and a half ago called the purple velvet suit syndrome. And I'm sure some of the people out there have heard it, but I'm going to repeat it one time. And it was, you know, in 26 years in, in dentistry, which is what I've been, I've seen so much in terms of what consultants have said, in terms of what people from the podium have said. And, you know, I've tried to reinvent my practice how many times, right, in the last 26 years. Well, what I see very common, particularly in younger clinicians, people who haven't been out of school that long and are still really trying to figure out who they are, they'll see somebody like a Cole Johnson. Uh, do a rap video and go, wow, that's amazing. Look, he got 20,000 likes, you know, you know, uh, the Kiki challenge, right? We saw that one dentist get what, you know, uh, 20 million and end up on Ellen, but it worked for him. And the purple velvet suit syndrome I, I wrote about essentially was that I once had this patient who had this cool crushed purple velvet suit. It was player. It was beautiful he was a front man for a band and he was English and he was rail thin and he had all the attributes you'd think of, you know, in a young kind of Mick Jagger, Adam Levine kind of guy. And he'd walk into the office and he'd have this purple suit on. And I was like, man, that is so cool looking suit. But it occurred to me that sure, I could try to be anything I wanted, but that suit wasn't really who I was. And I loved the fact of his whole persona and the suit, not just the suit alone. And if I went home and bought a purple suit and put it on and went to go play poker with my buddies, they'd laugh me out of the room because they know that that's not who I am. Now, granted, you can be anything you want to be in today. I don't, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying who you are on the outside has to be a reflection of who you are on the inside. And I think what both of you are saying, and I agree, is that if you're a younger doctor, um, you see all these things around you coming at you faster than they ever have in our history. And I think it's important to keep in mind, don't just try to be something you're not. And the fact that you said that millennials are looking for authenticity, like that's huge because like you said, Chase, I think they're going to smell it out really, really quickly. And um, yeah, I really like your input on that. Anything else fun coming down the turnpike, Chase, that you want to throw out from a 
marketing perspective or anything, Mike, that you see from either an AI or an automation perspective that can help us grow our practices? So I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit on some of the things that we're, we've implemented over the last, you know, six weeks or so and, and, and what we're going to be doing in the future. Um, you know, one of the things that I attend a marketing conference every year that's been absolutely incredible. Uh, it's, it's, it's called Traffic and Conversion, and they stay at the forefront of marketing. They're, they're, it's the best conference I've been to. I've been to a lot of them. I've spoken to a lot of them. Um, and it, Traffic and Conversion, these last couple of years, have been all about messenger bots and the ability to automate like a, a messenger bot via Facebook and, and all these different platforms. And I'm sure we've all seen like the ads on, on Facebook and Instagram that say send message. That's the future, the engagement and the open rates uh, that people are getting through, through messenger bots are incredible. And, uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't quite implemented them into our practice. A little bit of a learning curve mixed with adjusting to fit in the existing, uh, practice management platforms. Uh, cause you can only have so many platforms you run your business off of before you kind of implode on yourself. But we're, but that's one of the things I see is, is a, a, a futuristic, you know, coming down the turnpike of, of marketing is, is implementing messenger bots. Um, how, how do you- how do you see that working? Can you explain to me a quick example of what a messenger bot would do? So for example, um, like let's say someone comes to our website and you'll see this on our website before the end of the year um, at frostortho.com is I come to the website and uh, literally on, on our site, a little pop-up box will come up from messenger. As long as they're signed into Facebook on some browser somewhere that will say, how can I help you? Are you an existing patient? Are you uh, uh you know, a, a new patient, are you, you know, another doctor trying to come to our practice or whatever. And it, we can bot out like, okay, I'm a new patient. Great. And it will automatically say, great. Looking forward to have like to, to helping you out. What's, you know, uh, do you have any questions, you know, and they can give them three options of three questions they can go through. Like, you know, how much is treatment? Um, you know, how do I set an appointment? How do I, you know, whatever. And we can take them down this funnel completely automatically and then track every step of the way and even like it can go so far as to drop ads to them based off of their responses, based off of what they click, putting them in a, in a custom audience and really getting targeted and customized in the marketing we're sending them based off of their response to our messenger bot. So what you're describing is really an automated system for responding to inquiries. Yes. So I want to take it one step further. And Mike, you may be able to help us out even more on this one is what about AI? What about artificial intelligence? Because what you're describing, Chase, is it's out there, and right, we could ultimately hire somebody, right? Like there, there are companies out there that I won't mention names right now, but that will have an actual person answering it and giving answers and, and what have you. You know, if you think about the Turing test, right, from Alan Turing in the 50s, you know, computer scientist, his point was if you had a human and a computer next to each other, and you were given unlimited amount of time to interact with them and ask any questions you want, but you could never see them, right? You just, you were talking to two people. Could you ultimately tell the difference between the two? And if you couldn't, then the computer was said, or the artificial intelligence was said to pass the Turing test. Now, right. I think if given enough time with automation, you will figure out that it's not a human being. Where are we relative to artificial intelligence being able to pull this off? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> so I think that it was Google this past year in one of their 
demos, uh, they showed off, um, I believe it was their Google uh, Assistant. Uh, they asked it to make them an appointment at a nail salon. And there was a voice that called, spoke to a lady on the phone, and actually made the appointment uh, asking about dates and times and availability. And the person on their line didn't know that it was Google calling and making wow. the appointment. Wow. Um, I don't know that that is out there that's ready to use, that you can you know, do it right now. But there are a lot of companies that are playing with uh, what's really on the border of you know, what we would consider something that passes the Turing test. Um, there are, as Chase was, was talking about, the, the message bots, right now I think there are several that you would have to pre-populate the questions and answers. So yeah. you're taking them down a, a logic tree. So if the person says, I want to speak to somebody about braces, then there might be a few questions that it provides to them, and then the person would click on the question that they're looking for, or it would kind of take them down a, a specific path so that they could find the answer. Uh, it may not be exactly the, the AI, uh, you know, trying to help out, but the idea of, of a personal digital virtual assistant, you know, that, that's a, an AI, uh, it's, it's actually out there. Um, that's something that's for sure being worked on by the likes of Google and Apple and, and the others. I used one. It, it, yeah. It, about, a, about two years ago, right? Didn't that come out where you could, was, I don't know if it was you that told me about it, but that you could go sign up. And I can't remember her name, but she, it, it gave, they gave it a woman's name and you could test it and play with it. And it was really cool, but I got to be, started getting really annoying after a while because it was constantly telling me what it was doing for me. Mm. And I was like, I'm done. I'm finished. But I can't remember the name of it. And I, I don't know if either one of you knows what I'm referring to. But um. I, I don't. But I, but I had a really interesting experience with one of these. There's a company out there that uses an AI to, do, to schedule appointments. Uh, and a lot of offices, you know, if you have somebody who spends a lot of time on the phone trying to make appointments, it could really help with me. And their AI assistant you know, reached out and said, hi, Michael, you know, I have this time available. And I selected a time and I followed up uh, about a week or two later saying, hey, I came down with a really nasty virus. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to reschedule. And it responded, oh, how's tomorrow? And I thought, what the hell is wrong with you? I just told you that, I've, that I'm like deathly sick here. And you're asking me if I can reschedule tomorrow. And then I scrolled to the bottom of the email and I realized it said powered by a virtual, you know, auto AI assistant. And I realized, oh, okay, this thing has no emotional intelligence. And, you know, that's, that's potentially one of the downfalls is if you rely on something with no emotional intelligence that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't actually listen to what the person's saying, uh, you know, you could wind up with a response like, like this one had. All of us have been to doctor's offices that have live human beings with no emotional intelligence. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the truth. But, but so, so the question then, from this is when you implement technology, let's just say your message bot is working beautifully, Chase, but someone gets down that third question, you know, give them three choices and they don't want one of those three choices, you know, or when does it hurt you rather than help you? And in full disclosure, I have an agency that answers my phone or it, I'm sorry, that does my web requests. It's a live human being who's been trained and even they have shortfalls. But 
does implementing this stuff actually hurt you in the end if you lose even one or two patients? Or at the end of the day, is it just, you know, we're casting a wide net, we're doing the best we can, and hoping to get as much as we can out of it? You know, we'll, we'll find out and we'll, I, we'll return the report. I, I kind of feel like you got you to gotta work with the 80-20 rule, you know, kind of apply Pareto's principle on that and see, and see what works. But like here, the, the way that we're going to be setting it up in the very short future here will be once they, once they don't have a response, as soon as they type in a manual answer, it's going to notify our front desk and have our front desk interrupt the, interrupt the process. Right. Uh, yeah, we need to build in the logic to, to, to take into account. Like we, what we're trying to do is be more efficient. We're not trying to lose the personal touch. We're not trying to over automate. We're trying to serve at a higher level. And with that in mind, you know, we have to, we have to, you know, still play that, that 80, 20 rule as much as possible. And then, and then build in the, build in the contingency plan when, inevitably someone's going to be like, Hey, I don't want any of these three things. If I just type in here, do I get a response? And then we actually have to respond. Right on. So, um, I, I want to change direction just a little bit because I know we've been going for a bit. Uh, one of the things chase that you do in Dr. Frost's office is, uh, you're really his partner in the Frost smile Academy. Right. And yeah. so you're, you're trying to help, in many ways, change the way uh, education in orthodontics is happening. And uh, I think over the last couple of years, we've noticed smaller groups rather than ginormous summits, which some companies are still doing. A lot of companies are abandoning them and moving into the smaller, you know, 20, you know, 10 to 50 person educational modules. And so um, first, tell us a little bit about Frost Smile Academy. So Frost Smile Academy uh, was really developed because everybody comes to Dr. Frost because they want to learn how to get incredible finishes. And so we decided just to, just to take that portion and, and create a really a platform for him to teach more, teach more efficiently and to do it at, like have a broader, a broader base and not, you know, not necessarily have people have to shut down their office for a couple of days to, to go to a conference and meet him or to come out to an event. And so uh, it's, it's really kind of just creating a, a way to, get the techniques and the clinical efficiencies out to, out to people who are interested. Yeah. Um, we'll also have like assistant protocols and, and hiring and how we do like our onboarding and some different things in there as well, but we're still in the, in the early phases of the business. Yeah. And, and I can attest to the fact that, you know, knowing Stu pretty well and having uh, going to visit his office a couple of times now, you know, uh, is, uh, he's arguably one of the best, clinician gentleman in our profession today and I just respect the heck out of him like you can't believe and um, one of the things I, I want to sort of bring up to both of you relates to um, where do we see the future of education going and I guess I'll ask you as millennials to two of you because it's very different for me if I could go to a week-long course and let's not go a week let's go two days with Stu Frost and be able to work with him one-on-one -on -one and be over his shoulder and watch his assistants and see his culture and do all those things. To both of you as millennials, if I could do that online, if I could present to you 18 modules, nine hours, two days, or however you wanna take it at your own time, you won't get to interact with him directly, but you'll get the same amount of CE, you know, you continue education will be the same, but you could take it at your leisure in 30 minute shots if you want to. Does it make a difference to you personally if you could somehow take the Frost Smile Academy and turn it into a digital online process? I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on that one. 
Well, really, that's what we've done um, is, you know, like we have it all online. And, and for me, I feel like it's a combination of both. I, I still love the personal one-on-one interaction. Like the goal is for me is to really replace that, uh, but it's also to supplement. Because, you know, when you, when you take two days out, Glenn, you have to shut down your practice for a couple exactly. of days. You have to turn off a production day. You have to get in the airplane. You have to fly across the country. You have to spend time away from your family. You have to come into the office. And then you're trying to maintain – so much of that content that you're learning over that two-day period so you can go home and implement it it can be sometimes overwhelming so we want to have the option for people to be able to come out to the office because really like there's nothing that can change getting in a plane nothing that can compete with getting in a plane flying across the country and sitting in someone's office for two days as far as the frame and and being engaged in the process but on the back end of that it's we don't want people just to learn we want people to execute so we want to have the supplemental materials or you know, let's say they can't afford to shut down the practice for two days. Well, let's give them the opportunity to learn it at their own pace at a much, a much lower cost, much lower barrier to entry. Yeah. And, and so and for me, if I, if I choose between being in person or being online, I, I, I choose in person, but I can't always do that. Like right. I, you, it's just not possible. So to you as a millennial in person versus online, same, uh, it's not the same to you that the being with the person really is, important to you it's more than just an online experience yeah it's, it's the ideal and in, in, in my in like the way that i look at it and, and mike might be a little different but for me it's the ideal to look someone in the eye face to face and have that human connection is is a very different uh it's, it's just not as good typically as having having all the content online it's not as fluid so so really like that's that's what it is but what i've learned to do i mean I, i'm self-taught everything i've learned i've learned through google and YouTube. And that's really like, I learned how to do Facebook ads through Google and YouTube. I learned how to do many chat messenger bots. I learned how to do Google ads. Like everything I've learned, I've learned just by getting in there, getting in the trenches and, and push and go. So that online education piece and at your fingertips, you know, you can't always solve for a hiring problem. Like sometimes you need it now and we got to have the resources to be able to do it like now, as opposed to saying, all right, I'll solve this problem of, of having a, a hiring issue in six months when the next course is available which is the traditional model or, yeah. to, or to bring a consultant out. Exactly. And pay but, a lot of uh, pay a ton of money. So, but Mike, what are, what are your thoughts on the process of the modern educational classroom? Yeah, I, I would say that I tend to agree with what Chase said, because it, it, for a lot of millennials, if you need to know something right now, uh, you don't want to sign up for a course and go in six months or a year. You just want that, information right now and if you can get that online and you can watch the video and you can get whatever it is uh, that that definitely suffices um, but where it you know really depends on what the exact topic is because if it's something that requires you to be hands-on uh, then you're not going to get that experience uh, watching a video online you're not going to have that interaction uh, in the future potentially that's where augmented and virtual reality come in uh, augmented and virtual reality, you know, and I, I don't know how far out this is, but uh, Microsoft has a HoloLens unit that, you know, theoretically, this could be five years out. Uh, you could have instruction where you're in the same room as the instructor and you're watching exactly how they do something hands-on. Uh, there, there's a virtual reality company right now that lets you sit at the 50-yard line at sports games, right? So instead of having to really? pay a ticket drive down there. Yeah, you could just sit, right? You could have the best seats in the house. All you have to do is put on your virtual reality headset and you turn to your right and you see the fans and you turn to the left and you see the fans and you could do the wave and you know, <laughs> participate. You just, can't, you just can't go to the stands and get a hot dog, right? 
Wow. So that exists now? That exists now. Oh, yeah. And the AR stuff is, is shortly behind. I mean, I've had a chance to play with one of those hollow lenses. They're incredible. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. how, so I love the idea of it. How do we even consider using something like that in the world of ortho? Other than education. Is there a place for that in our practices? There probably is. It requires having a developer actually sit down and, and develop it out for you. Um, I could imagine as you're talking to patients, uh, being able to show them a digital overlay on top of reality. Uh, so if you're showing them uh, an image of themselves, uh, you know, maybe you've got a digital overlay that you're trying to, to interact with and you're showing them how the teeth move. I'm, I'm not sure if that's, yeah. uh, you know, common on, on a 2D, you know, as sort of 2D, 3D on the screen as, as it is today, but um, that would be the type of example, or uh, this, this one's, a, you know, kind of one that I can imagine is Amazon is already in the homes of, of millions of Americans, right? And they've got a product, it's a uh, camera that you can buy, it's $50, just a standalone camera, but you can take selfies and it gives you wardrobe recommendations. And it tells you whether it's on trend and, you know, okay, that's interesting. But if that is already in the home and, and it's giving people recommendations on wardrobe, you should check this out. This is what you could look like. Wow. So it, it sounds to me like it's something you could use for a consult, right? Yeah. Because what, what you could do is you could potentially say, well, my husband can't make it to the appointment. Well, great. Let's get him in on this, right? So instead of a FaceTime or recording something, you could do that, correct? Yeah. And, and the use might be that if somebody sends a picture of themselves, uh, then with, with the app, uh, you might be able to show them a, uh, an augmented you know, photo of what they could look like, an aug- pretty- augmented video. So, so I played around with, with, with AR, the augmented reality stuff, a little bit. I think I might have shown a little bit of it to you, Mike, where, and I never, it was just so much work right mm-hmm. now. And what I'm trying to do now, we'll probably laugh at five years from now and say how easy it is. But I wanted people to be able to take a picture of my business card, and then I would jump off the screen, so to speak, and introduce myself, right? Because, you know, remember the big wine bottle that made all the rounds that, you know, the wine bottle with the zombies, you know, uh, Walking Dead, I think it was, you know, and it would, it would break out of the label. And I wanted to have something like post-operative instructions where you gave people a card and they could hold their phone up to it and it would automatically link to a video of post-operative instructions for that particular thing, yep. right? And so- That would be great use. Uh, Chase, I'm relying on you to solve this one, okay, man? Yeah, I'll I'll get back to you. I'll return a report. <laughs> if anybody could do it, it's you. But but again, these are like you said, different is better than better. And my thought was, you know, if you had a website, a picture, a card where someone could take augmented reality, take a, a picture of it, so to speak, and all of a sudden, a whole series. Now you're on their phone. Now you're in their life. And if it's cool enough, and it can get go viral and get some real legs, right? Now it's marketing. And um, I think we're only limited by our imagination nowadays and a little bit by technology, wouldn't you agree? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look at all the companies out there that are doing things with augmented reality for furniture shopping, where you can just hold up the phone, look at your uh, living room and see how different it would be. There's no reason that you couldn't have an app that just shows you, you know, what a nicer smile would look like on your face so or frankly, hold, anything else. Hold the phone absolutely. up over your face and automatically instantly be able to show you based on certain parameters, what your smile would look like. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty cool. Uh, you guys, you know, the more time I spend around the two of you, the more my head is going to explode and the less money I have in my pocketbook because of all the things I go and buy and have fun with. Um, you know, <laughs> glad, to, glad to be of service to your local marketplace. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, I tell everybody out there right now that if you haven't had a chance to spend time with Chase Frost or with Mike Vidikin, it is truly uh, an, an incredible experience to just sit down, have a beer, have a Fanta, have a whatever you want, and just sit and talk about these sorts of things. It just gets your juices flowing. It gets you thinking about things. And um, I know, Mike, you'll be at the Orthopreneurs Summit uh, next September, so people will have a chance to chat a little bit with you about anything that's going on. I don't know if Chase will be there or not. Maybe Dr. Frost let him go. Maybe he I'll be there if you let me. Oh, you're invited all day long, Chase. Uh, all right. You're, exa you're exactly the kind of guy – you know, I, I think a lot of the times the reason why online education is great, but I don't know if it'll ever replace the in-person is because some of the best things I've learned have come from behind the scenes. It's yeah, it comes from, it comes from the feeling, right? I mean, I, I like the way Mike put it, you know, you get the, you get the, uh, you know, you have a question right now, let's get it answered. We can't solve it in six months. Let's get it answered now. But like, I, it's the feeling that you get when you're one-on-one -on -one with someone. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. And the nice thing in the world we live in today because of the Facebook groups we have, uh, like orthopreneurs, you know, hey, um, <laughs> I've seen it with clinical. I don't know how to do this procedure. I have a patient coming in later. How do I do this? And, you know, what cement do you use or what bird do you use? And instantly they're networked to a group of people that they would never have had access to 10 years ago. So to me, we live in amazing times. Um, and, and before we end this whole thing, um, I like to tell people that, you know, James Lipton, who was one of the most remarkable interviewers for Inside the Actor Studio for many, many years, um, he gave credit to a French talk show host, Bernard Pivot, so, who, who did this other show, and he asked these 10 questions of every one of his uh, guests. And they were, these are famous, famous actors and actresses who'd be on his show, and it was great to hear the answers. Um, and I, I ask, I'm going to be asking these 10 questions to everybody who's on the podcast. And so uh, I'm going to ask you each a question and you guys can each blurt out your answer so we can hear it. Uh, it there's no right or wrong. It just gives people a better insight into who you are. So ready, Mike? Uh, ready. You ready, Chase? I'm ready. Here we go. Okay. So uh, I'll start with you, Chase. What is your favorite word? Hungry. Hungry. <laughs> Mike, your favorite word? Yes. My yeah. favorite word is yes. I like that. Um, I'll go to you first, Mike. What is your least favorite word? <laughs> My least favorite word is no. <laughs> You're a pretty binary kind of guy, huh? <laughs> you futurist. Um, for you, Chase, your least favorite word? Tomorrow. Ooh, that's an interesting one. So you ready, Chase? What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Honestly, working out. 
like getting like a, that that inner emotion out and uh, releasing energy via exercise is, is huge for me with all those processes emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally, all those things. Right. And my I like that related uh, alcohol. Alcohol turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally. Hey, you want to get creative? Uh, you know, have a drink. There you go. I can argue. <laughs> so, Mike, what turns you off? Uh, inconsiderate people. And you, Chase? <sighs> Not much. <laughs> I'm easy to turn on and I'm hard to turn off. I don't know. <laughs> I, I believe uh, it. I, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult. I would say, I would say, uh, a lack of integrity. That's good. I can believe in that. So this is a good one, guys. No holds barred. You ready? Be ready. Listeners. I'll start with Mike, <laughs> your favorite curse word. <laughs> um, fuck. <laughs> That's a good word. And remember, the, these are not my questions. This is James Lipton, one of the most, one of the most respected. Yeah, sorry, people. audience. No, it's okay. Believe me, on Inside the Actor Studio, you got some great answers. And Chase, you can make it as tame as you want. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> uh, you know, you know what? Your, I'm have to say, your cousin is listening. He's listening. <laughs> he's here, he's funny. I'm gonna have to say shit balls. Shit balls. Oh. That's shit balls. That's good. That, that's a good one. That's my favorite curse word. I mean, I can't copy Mike's. I mean, come on. But like that, the story behind that a little bit is like my wife dropped her phone. There's a story behind the baby. Oh, there is. She's holding the baby. She dropped her phone. She said, shit balls. And the baby died laughing. So we say it in our house all the time because my kid just cracks up. You say shit balls and he can't breathe. So it's done. Could present some future problems, Jay's. It could possible i'm willing to accept the consequences for a baby's laugh i'm all right with that i get it brother so for you mike what sound or noise do you love well if you had asked me three weeks ago it would have been very different but i'm just gonna have to say the sound of uh my new baby boy there's nothing i love hearing more than when i'm you know just holding him and he's mush and i hear the the little noises coming out it's amazing beautiful and you, Chase? Yeah, I, you're talking to two new dads here, man. My little guy, like just hearing him, just like hearing his life, hearing life come out of his body is like my favorite. Beautiful. Ready? Now, Chase, what sound or noise do you hate? Um, let me think about that. Um, you know what I hate? I hate the, like, have you ever heard that the like when a car crashes, that noise just sends chills up my spine? I know, I know, I've heard that sound, Mike. So the sound that comes to me is uh, from Dumb and Dumber, where he says, "What's the most <laughs> annoying sound in the world?" <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I think he asks him, "Do you want to hear the most annoying sound?" <laughs> um, so you ready, Mike? What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, cooking. I'd love to, you know, get involved professionally at some point, uh, uh, selling people my, my delicious cooking. Right on. And you, Chase? Um, I, I'd, I'd want to be an MMA fighter. <laughs> oh. I like that. Now, 
That would have fallen on some people's next question. What profession would you not like to do, Chase? <laughs> uh, you know what? What I would not like to do uh, would be anything that would require like data entry, just boring, like non-dynamic, just repetitive stuff. I, anything that has anything to do with that would be not for me. Right on. And Mike? Uh, lawyering is the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> lawyering, a barrister. Um, and the last question, gentlemen. Mike, you go first. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hmm. Holy shit. You got in? <laughs> and, well, technically, you're at the gates. And after that response, you may not get in. But I like it. Yeah. And Chase, what about you? Welcome home. Right on. So I just want to thank both of you, Mike and Chase. Uh, you guys are amazing. Uh, I think it's important for people out there, before we leave, to just keep in mind that while you have two people here uh, from completely different backgrounds, uh, completely different training, uh, different jobs today, what they have in common is they're both really forward-thinking people. Uh, status quo is not good enough. Understanding what makes the world around us work and how we can utilize that in future technology to make our lives better, more productive, and different, as Chase said, I think is what the two of them have in common. And so if there's a lesson to be taken away uh, from this podcast, hopefully, it's don't settle for status quo, always push the envelope, always look to see what you can do better, uh, and embrace technology in a way that helps you fulfill your practice life and your personal life in a more efficient and better way. So again, I want to thank you, Chase, for being here. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and thank your cousin as well for letting me come out a couple of times. And of course, Mike, I want to thank you as well. So gentlemen, from the bottom of all of our hearts, thank you so much for being a part of this. And uh, hopefully for those of you who come to the Orthopreneur Summit uh, this upcoming year, you'll have the opportunity to interact with both of them as well. So gentlemen, thank you again. Thanks. Thanks, Glenn. All right. Take care, everybody. Tell your friends about the podcast. And uh, until next time, we'll see you soon.